This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey there, it is the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast. Best bits from Wednesday, February the 14th. Earning season in full flow at the moment. And we continue to get more analysis on some of those earnings. None more so than from the team at Investcor. Uh, their capital um, arm has seen record fourth quarter profit of $21 million after their recent Abu Dhabi IPO. We got to speak to Hazen Bengachem, the vice chairman of Investcor Capital, and is also the co-CEO of Investcor Holdings. Wears a couple of hats down there, was kind enough to join us live on the line. He was down in Saudi Arabia, spoke to us from there about their great numbers at the moment and pipeline moving forward. Toby Young was kind enough to join us live in studio. Why? Bitcoin on a little bit of a rally at the moment. That's prompted other cryptos to also go north. Bitcoin hitting $50,000 for the first time in more than two years. Um, It's come back a little bit since then. Another bit of a rally uh, last night as well. So another yo-yo 24 hours for uh, Bitcoin investors. Toby is the CST Advisors Head of MENA and Digital Asset and Fintech fintech Strategist. He was kind enough, as I said, to join us early doors this morning to discuss Bitcoin and all things crypto. Also joining us live in studio was Stephen McLaren. Let's talk insurance. Director of Corporate Solutions at Seven Insurance Brokers was in studio. Why? Well, health insurance here in Dubai booming at the moment. Transactions up, claims up, packages up, service providers up. It's all up, up and away. But does that also therefore mean that premiums are up? A question that uh, we crunched with Stephen a little earlier on. As I mentioned, uh, earnings season at the moment. Loads were out before we went on air. A couple came out whilst we were on air. Uh, the early earnings warning coming out from Atissa, that looked go- good. We also had reflection on the latest numbers uh, from Do, their partners uh, in the market at the moment. There are also numbers coming out from Aramex, from Alpha Dhabi and otherwise, others as well within the last 24 hours. And lest we forget, it was also the final day of World Government Summit with some big speakers down at the summit uh, site, we had none other than Shahrukh Khan, the Bollywood star, and of course, uh, and of course, Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India. All speaking on the final day at the World Government Summit. That's all right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast Podcast. Earnings season is coming to a close. And we've got earnings coming thick and fast at the moment. In Abu Dhabi, within the past half an hour or so, we've had numbers from Etisalat. Now, it's only what they call preliminary financial results from Etisalat. We haven't got the full shebang, the full report, but... Profit little changed last year, just over 10 billion dirhams, pretty much the same as 2022, but no commentary from the bosses at Etisalat. Tom, am I right in thinking when you were at the World Government Summit yesterday that you were rubbing shoulders with the boss of Etisalat? With one of the bosses, uh, not the buses, they've got loads of buses uh, of Etisalat, but one of the bosses um, of the, because I mean, it's such a huge company now. What was the numbers that we... We, we, I was basically down at the Government Services Forum yesterday, part of the World Government Summit, and we were talking to Khalifa al-Shamsi, who's the head of the E and Life side of things. It's become, basically the panel was all about super apps. You had E and there, you had Digital Dubai, 
Dubai Digital, or Digital Dubai, and their Dubai Now app. And then you had Tam from Abu Dhabi as well. And there was sort of crossover in the whole thing. Um, and, yeah, we were talking to Khalifa uh, uh, al-Shamsi of Ian Life about their sort of scope at the moment. Remember that Ian, um, and, of course, Tislat, as it was known before here, and it still is in other parts of the world, still has such a sort of global footprint. So they, I think it's 160 countries that they're active in and over 100, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. I have to check the script. 192 million users a day or something like that accessing some of their services. So, I mean, it's it, it's pretty extraordinary. Uh, but yeah, they were down there and obviously talking about the future, AI might have been mentioned as it pretty much was on every single forum and will be moving forward. Uh, uh, to the the, the yeah the, the the growth of the super app the era of the super app at the moment. So we got num- numbers very sketchy from call it what you want. We call it a tisselat. They call themselves E and in their corporate blur, but actually their official name of the company is Emirates Telecommunications Group Company PJSC. But that's why it's just stumbled a little bit because I think are they still a tisselat in? In like Egypt, where obviously they're quite they, significant. They are here, aren't they, as a, as a consumer brand. Ah. The whole point of E-and is that we're Etisla and lots more cool and stuff. More. I don't know. But it's the same with Do. Because we we're talking about Do Profits out. They came out yesterday. And actually, their numbers were up sharply. Different story to, to Etisla. Numbers were up sharply. Record profit for Do. They're not called Do. It is, let me pull up the Dubai Financial Market website. Uh, they are Emirates Integrated, bloody, bloody, blah, what are they called? Um, I should know that because in some senses we're a related company because Dubai Holdings got a stake in them and so have we as well. Um, do, 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 do. Emirates Integrated. No, Emirates Integrated is. It's just, <laughs> is that, is it, it's Hang on, I've got the do numbers. It's doing it, Tisselat. It was so easy, wasn't it? I've got the do numbers here. Wait there. I can find that for you. Emirates Integrated Telecommunications Co. E-I-T-C. Because they've got do and they've got some other stuff. Virgin Mobile is also part of that, isn't uh, it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Go figure. It, it just did perfectly well. Profit flat. Do did a little bit better. Profit up. Uh what else have we got? World Government Summit. AI, Bosch, as you said, big focus yesterday. <sighs> I loved the conversation between Sam Altman and Omar Al-Alama yesterday. I wasn't in the room, but I watched the video on YouTube afterwards. Going to hear a bit of it now. And it was so natural. You can tell that they really know each other well because they're both kingpins of AI and have been for several years now. And it was it, some of these things, when you get peer-to-peer interviews, you were noting the rise of them. The fact that it's not a journalist interviewing Sam Altman, it's the UAE Minister of AI. They can be very scripted, very wooden, and you can see it a mile off. And it's just not authentic. This one was, uh, well, make your own mind up. This is them talking about everything from AI to movies. Have you watched the movie Freaky Friday, where these two people switch places? I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. So so the, the thesis or the idea of the movie was... Two people switched places, they moved into different bodies, and they lived each other's lives. Let's assume today is um, Freaky Tuesday, and you become the Minister of Artificial Intelligence of the UAE. If you were going to take one regulatory decision for this country, knowing what you know, seeing what you see, what would you do? We are going to need, I believe, at some point, some sort of a global system. Um, The example that I've given in the past is the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, for 
what happens with the most powerful of these systems, because they will have truly global impact. And what sort of auditing, what sort of safety measures do we want in place before you can deploy uh, like a super intelligence or you know, however you wanna call an AGI. And I think for a bunch of reasons, the UAE would be so well set up to be a leader in the discussions around that. I would, I would like host a one day conference with leaders from around the world to brainstorm about that. So lots happening today at the World Government Summit. Normally, most conferences by the afternoon on day one, all the good people have gone home and you're left with the dregs. Normally me on stage, four o'clock in the afternoon. Not this one. Day three today, big hitters, Tom. Ain't they just? Um, uh, and judging the traffic yesterday, I was struck by the traffic yesterday because there's a weird sort of, the, the, you know, the, the Mina Salam, the Madna area, it's, it's one road in, one road out, isn't it? And when you've got lots of sort of private security and different um, security forces, different police forces from the different emirates all trying to get into that area. There's a bit of a battle between the wee-wahs and the woo-woos, you know, where we've got all sorts of sirens going off and all sorts of lights going off. We've got lights on top of cars, lights in the back of cars, all bits and pieces. It's, it's great people watching. Just sit there on the street corner. God, I wonder who's in the back of that one. I wonder who's in the back of that one. Um, and they all sort of cut in and go their, their way forward. It's going to be the same today. I was thinking the reason I said that is because today it's going to be crazy down there. You've got Narendra Modi, uh, Prime Minister Modi, turning up at some point uh, uh, to speak to the crowd. And he's bringing with him a dear friend. Is that right? Shahrukh Khan, the Bollywood star, is on stage in just over an hour's time. He's going to be in conversation with Richard Quest of CNN. It's only 15 minutes. They could do 15 hours making Netflix series out of it. That they, would be fascinating. They'll be helicoptering in, surely. Well, they've got the taxis down there, the aerial taxis from the RTA. Maybe they'll get one of those. <laughs> you get the insurance on that. So, do you, can we take your prototype and put the, uh, <laughs> the leader of one of the largest countries in the world into it? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, health and safety may well have something to say about that. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Talking health insurance now, because we've got new data out from Dubai from the Dubai Health Insurance Corporation, which is part of the Dubai Health Authority. A new report out. We don't have a massive amount of comparative data, but here's what we know. Last year, 22 billion dirhams worth of claims went through that system. And that works out at an average of about 500 dirhams per claim. We don't know what it was in 2022 or 2021, but it's still, it, it's a big number, but it works out about 5% of GDP, which is actually quite a small number. We know people care deeply about health insurance. So Steve McLaren's with us in the studio. Stephen McLaren, Director of Corporate Solutions, Seven Insurance Brokers. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Richard. So let's talk about this data briefly. What was your takeaway? I think it's clear to see that the transactions are increasing all the time. From my anecdotal conversations with healthcare providers, they are jam-packed full with patients. So I think there's definitely an increase in terms of uh, activity in the medical insurance world. We've we've got comments that I was reading from the Emirates Insurance Association. Fareed Lutfi there mm. is one of their heads. And he reckons health insurance premium inflation in the UAE is between 5 and 10% a year. And I've heard figures like that, 8% as well from the industry. What's your best it's, it's more than a guess, your, your informed opinion. I would say it's over the 10%. Um, there are surveys out there, there's some large brokers like Alpha Teen Willis, Under Willis, uh, Aon and Marsh that do annual surveys 
and it's somewhere between 9 and 11% typically. It depends where the data comes from, but overall I would say it's definitely into the double-digit figure and has been consistently for the last 10 years. COVID dipped it a little bit, but overall that's the sort of figure. Are we claiming too much? And I'm more guilty than most people about this. But the number of health insurance claims through Dubai last year was 44 million. Now, I don't have a precise figure for residents of Dubai population. Two, three million. That's about 11, 12 claims per person per year. That's a lot, Stephen, is it not? The short answer is yes. Uh, I certainly think that the claims data that I get as a broker should be more about how many times does the membership actually go and see the doctor. That eight or nine times is not something I'm surprised at at all. Um, We don't need to see the doctor that often. So I think there's no perfect healthcare model, but medical insurance, because people are insured, allows the medical facilities to say, come in, you know, fill your boots, don't worry, the insurance company is covering it. So I think that's part of the evidence of what's going on. Um, And yeah, going to the doctor too frequently. We spoke earlier off air, try and avoid going, get fit. Get Well, exact prevention (laughs) is better than cure. Brandy Scott's not here today, but she would say something like, better to build a fence at the top of the cliff rather than have an ambulance at the bottom of a cliff. But the incentives of the insurance company, once you've paid your premium, and if you've paid quite a lot, or if your employer has, you think, well, I've got it, so I'm going to use it. So are the incentives wrong there? I think one of the problems is that each medical insurance policy is done year by year. In an ideal world, which is very hard to find, is to get a plan where insurers could have a policy that make it more sustainable, spend more on wellness and prevention. Because if you look at most medical insurance policies, there's not a lot in there about prevention. And in discussions with clients, it's not a topic that crops up unless that particular person is into wellness and prevention. Let's talk about health insurance for older people in particular. Because rising insurance costs are, are a problem for fit young people. But if you're retiring here as an expatriate, it really is an issue. We had a, a comment. Someone reached out to me, actually, on LinkedIn just a couple of weeks ago to explain that their medical insurance bill had gone through the roof. I'm not going to give you his name. He lives in... OK, Neil, I'll give you his first name. Lives in Ras al And this is what Neil told us. I am currently 63 years old and my wife is 61 year old. We have no ongoing health issues, we're both fit and healthy, exercising regularly, etc. Recently I received the um, insurance renewal for the coming year and we are facing an 80% increase in the premium. I really feel as older people in the UAE we are being penalised and just um, some arbitrary figure applied to our premium. Now, Neil says he did have an accident last year, so he did make a claim, but 80% is significant. Just before I get your reaction, Stephen, listen to this as well. This is Dr. Azad Mupin, who you know well. He's the founder of Asta DM Healthcare, one of the big insurance groups here. We spoke to him a couple of weeks ago about trends for 2024, and he said, particularly for old people, he didn't really have many words of comfort for people like Neil. This is what he had to tell us. It's going to be definitely more expensive. When you look at it, it's a 80-20 rule. 80% 80% of all your ex- healthcare expenditure will be paid during the last 20% of your lifetime. So as people get old, more and more uh, 
uh, expenses are required because you get one illness over another and over another. People as they age, the cost goes up significantly. Cost goes up significantly. So what can we say or do for the Neils of this world? He says he walked 45 kilometres in Ras al this weekend. First of all, Richard, I'm not surprised that there was an actual accident or some sort of claim because what typically happens for individual policies is whatever you claim as an individual, as a family group or on your own, that will just be lumped onto the following year's premium. So the chances are he claimed, you know, a little bit, quite a bit more than what his premium was. It's just why it's lumped in. So if we start off with insurers are not a charity, they're trying to make money. So that's the starting point. What I think we need to do here in the UAE is the government wants people to retire here is to get some sort of legislation where there's a pooled fund for retirees. I'm going to say it's almost like a national health service in a way. It could still be an insurance model, but each individual is not having claims affecting the following year's premium because otherwise this is going to go on all the time. Isn't that the the very nature of insurance? Hmm. It's about pooling risk, isn't it? Even with a private company. Is that happening at all here? Not much at all in individuals, and that's exactly the problem, Richard. We're not People's perception, particularly we're all here from the UK, is that it would be a pooled risk. We're not having that. It's effectively your own money managed by an insurance company uh, to look after your medical health, and they're trying to make money on top. So the model needs to change if we're going to have a sustainable retiree future for people here. But that would need some kind of government legislation, regulation, call it what you will. I mean, you could get some bold insurance companies that would try it, but the problem would be is that if you've got some people that are claiming a lot and others that are not, some people will feel they're missing out. So it's that chicken and egg situation. So I personally think it's got to be a government-led or legislation-led pooled fund available for retirees. So if you've got one insurance company that does this whole pooling of risk, if, you're, if you've got dodgy hips and you think, oh, I'm going to need a hip replacement in the next couple of years, you're going to go to that insurance company. That's the problem. So it's all or nothing. Yeah. Prisoner's Dilemma, Microeconomics 101, and, and there's call so, it what you will. Yeah, there's so many companies out there like Insurance Market, uh, Policy Bazaar, I heard it advertising before, other companies out there doing this aggregating site and just you can swap and change insurers when you wish. The, one of the other big problems as an individual is when you start to claim, particularly in retirement, you have to disclose that if you move to another insurer. So you're getting that noose around your neck to an extent as well. So it's really tough and that's why I think it needs legislation support. Finally, 30 seconds. We don't have that pooled insurance scheme yet. Hopefully, maybe one day. 20 seconds. What advice could you give to the Neils of this world? One of the things I could suggest is just take an absolute basic policy. So if you're going to see a GP, you pay that cost yourself to most of the time. um, And then take out an inpatient policy on top, which is just for the serious stuff. So that's perfectly possible and allowed to do in Dubai. Stephen McLaren, good to hear from you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Director of Corporate Solutions at Seven Insurance Brokers. It's the Business Breakfast, Dubai Eye Radio, Dubai One Television. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The question is, where does Bitcoin go from here? You could catch me running up the Bitcoin. I spent 6000 on a Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. Bitcoin. I got Bitcoins. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. That is Soldier Boy and Bitcoin in the studio. We do not have the American rapper from Atlanta, but we do have the head of MENA and digital asset and fintech strategist at CST Advisors, Toby Young. Morning, Toby. Good morning. Up or down from here? Um, I think it depends. Uh, we are definitely overbought on the charts, um, but I do believe we will see a small correction. Uh, before heading higher again, I think we're on a one-way train to a certain extent in the longer term. 
One-way train to a certain extent. Where do you see this five years from time from now? Uh, five years. Five years from now. I mean, I was ready for you for you to ask me three months from now. Um, five years from now, I think we're we're looking sort of in the hundreds of thousands, um, as opposed to where we are today, just over fifty. Um, but again, it it probably depends on the greater economy. I mean, we saw last night Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin is still linked to something like inflation data. So we saw the CPI come out from the United States and Bitcoin corrected from just above 50 to uh, 48 and a half before rallying again. That was in line with other major currencies of the world. Um, But for commodities, we also saw gold drop on the back of that. And the thought there is that interest rates won't be coming down as quickly as first hoped. And therefore, the US dollar should be valued higher than every other currency or and commodity. In that piece of music we played there from Soldier Boy, the American rapper, and it's from five years ago. And if you listen to the lyrics, I'm not going to try and imitate his, his rapping style, but he talked, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, I've got some Bitcoin. I paid 6000 for my Bitcoin. And that song came out five years ago, 2019, and Bitcoin was around $6,000 right then. And the point of his song was, I have just paid $6,000 for this. And that was an eye-watering amount of money for one Bitcoin back then. I hope Soldier Boy has hold on to his Bitcoin because it's up tenfold since then, isn't it? So we've had quite the run. What has been behind that, with a few obviously twists and turns, but behind that rally over the past five, even ten years? So I, th- I think you've really got to look at the constructs of money. Um, you've got to look at... Um, Things like the unbanked, about people wanting to move away from fiat currency, from the novelty value, from the fact that it's potentially money that nobody controls. And when people look at it as money, potentially as a commodity that nobody controls. It's free flowing. It's free access. Um, It's not controlled by a government or a central bank. So a lot of sort of anti-establishment people hopped on to start off with and sort of said it's the future. And then... What we've seen is that Bitcoin or blockchain, whichever one you'd like to look at, was a proof of concept for the other. Now, blockchain's incredibly powerful outside of the constructs of money and fiat money. Um, but people have latched on to Bitcoin. And as we've seen in the last 10 years, something that's kind of counterculture can become mainstream. And that's now what's happened with Bitcoin. We've gone from counterculture anti-establishment to mainstream looking at wrapping it into traditional assets. A couple of minutes left. Picking up on your word, the unbanked there. Now, traditionally, in terms of development opic, uh, excuse me, development economics, we think of the unbanked as being people on very low incomes, particularly in low-income countries. But there's also the unbanked who are extremely wealthy, but their gains are ill-gotten either through corruption or through organised crime. And that's always been a, a cliche around Bitcoin. What truth is there still in that? Um, limited. To, to be honest, every transaction on the blockchain or, or through with Bitcoin is traceable. So if you want to bring money into the traditional financial system from uh, digital assets or from Bitcoin, you still have to go through the traditional KYC processes and you still have to show source of funds, proof of funds. So it's now become a lot more difficult in terms of um, ill-gotten gains being moved into the financial system. Additionally to that, um, you have the ability to trace wallets as well. So you can see where every Bitcoin's gone. So if there's an illicit Bitcoin, you can see which wallet it's gone to. And therefore, 
can blacklist that wallet. Finally, let's talk about the Bitcoin halving. halving. The whole point of, well, one of the big points of Bitcoin is that it's scarce. The number of Bitcoins that can be mined is limited and we're almost there. And in April, something called the halving happens, which means even fewer Bitcoins coming onto the market. We've only got a minute left. What's the halving? What does it mean? Right. So the halving is essentially the halving of rewards that's given to miners, those that maintain the blockchain. And it will drop from 6.25 per block to 3.125 per block, um, which means obviously the rewards have halved. Um, The difficulty of maintaining the blockchain increases. Um, That creates more scarcity because there's less supply being released. If we look at Bitcoin today, over 95% of it's already been mined even though it will continue to be mined till around 2140. If I was to give you $50,000 today and said, I want some crypto, would you put it all on Bitcoin or would you diversify and give me a bit of Ethereum, a bit of Doge maybe? Uh, I would diversify. Ethereum, yes. For me, Doge, no. Um, I like coins that have utility and fundamentals to them that actually have a project that is clearly defined. Um, Ethereum is potentially going to have a good run because we're looking at an Ethereum ETF potentially being announced in the next three to six months. Toby, we're going to have to leave that. Come back again. The halving happens in about 10 weeks' time, I think just after Ramadan. So we'll talk again then. But for now, Toby Young, head of MENA, also head of digital assets and fintech strategist at CST Advisors. Toby, good to speak to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Here's the Business Breakfast. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right then, let's talk about investing now. Investcore is a Bahrain-based investment company, storied investment name here in the Gulf, listed its shares on the Abu Dhabi stock market back in November. And yesterday, we had its first earnings as a listed company. The co-chief executive of Investcore Capital is Hazem Ben Gassam. Joins us now on the line from Riyadh. Hazem, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Richard, good morning and thank you for having me on your show. No, it's been great to have you. We've been keen to speak to you for a while. So earnings out. We're comparing apples and oranges here because it's it's your first earnings report as a listed company. Depending on which number you crunch, net profits up a bit or down a bit, what number are you looking at? All right. Uh, first of all, Richard, uh, let me make a small correction. I'm the vice chairman of InvestCorp Capital, uh, which is InvestCorp's um, uh, public vehicle, the only and unique one in the public markets in the Gulf that allows investors access to a wide array of uh, alternative investments globally. Uh, but I also carry the hat of co-CEO of InvestCorp Holdings, which is the private manager that is managing InvestCorp Capital. So coming back to your question, Richard, there's one number which is very important, 9.6%. That is the dividend, the annualized dividend rate that we're paying out. This is one of the highest, if not the highest dividend rate of any stocks in any of the public markets in the GCC. Uh, more importantly, we have at the time of the IPO committed to release, to pay out no less than 8% dividend to our public shareholders and investors. And I'm so happy that we're continuing on that momentum with a number that is meaningfully ahead of what we have promised the market at the time of the IPO. But of course, to, to maintain that dividend, you've got to maintain profitability. And we know Investcor has a, a decades-long track record of, of doing that. Talk to me about the underlying performance of the assets that you invest in over the past year. Indeed, Richard. Uh, we, we, do, uh, we have sent that strong message about the minimum 8% because exactly for what you said, we feel very comfortable about our business. We have a 40-year history of investing. The vast majority of what Investcorp does 
is in liquid, sorry, dividend or cash yielding investments in real estate, in credit at large part. And there's the upside kicker, the equity returns out of private equity. Our historic returns on this combined portfolio is comfortably in excess of 11% cash yield. And that is why we are very comfortable to offer our investors uh, the minimum 8% and in this uh, mid-year results, a 9.6% uh, dividend rate. Talking of real estate, concerns particularly in the United States about commercial real estate there, partly in terms of is there demand for office space with the work from home trend and of course also interest rates. The inflation data yesterday means there's no prospect of an immediate cut perhaps in interest rates in the United States. How are you reading your your US real estate portfolio at the moment? Yeah. Uh, indeed, Richard, the uh, the real estate the real estate marketplace have its own pockets that needs to be looked in uh, in isolation. Really, uh, Investcorp does have any, does not have any exposure to commercial real estate. We've taken this decision in 2012. There's a lot of reasons behind it. We invest in industrial assets. The nearshoring happening in North America have really have skyrocketed that sector. Student housing, multifamily homes, warehouse and logistic facilities. These, these asset classes within real estate continue to be vibrant and continue to do well. But you're right, uh, hospitality, um, commercial will perhaps uh, have its own trend. But fortunately for our investors, these are not areas or sectors which we have over the last uh, decade or so been investing in. It's interesting that you say that the nearshoring trend of bringing manufacturing back into the United States is real and that you're investing in it and have been for some time now. A cynic would say, well, this is just political posturing from whichever political leader happens to be in power. We're bringing manufacturing back to the United States. But you, from what you're saying, there is some substance to this trend as well. So, Richard, here are the underlying trends. Uh, first of all, definitely at the policy level, and it's very interesting whether it's a Republican or Democratic uh, administration, uh, the policy has been very, very consistent, <clears throat> which is to bring jobs back to North America, to the US, and that is happening. But here's a much more interesting trend. Um, two variables, very important. First of all, the cost of manufacturing is becoming significantly lower in North America than in Asia. Why is that? inflation, transport costs, but also a lot of the tax benefits and incentives that the U.S. administration have put in place have really made it very efficient to bring a lot of those industrial processes back to North America. But here's a second trend, which is very interesting. Technology. Technology is playing a very important part in automating a significant part of industrial parks. That means what historically we'd have seen a factory with hundreds and thousands of employees running around and building something. Today, a lot of that is robotic-based. When you have robotic-based, the cost, the cost advantage, the human cost advantage of um, taking um, uh, industrial production to other parts of the world have pretty much subsided. And that is why this trend is for real and this trend will be with us, I suspect, we suspect, for, for decades to come. You're in Riyadh at the moment, we understand. Talk to me about the investment targets that you've got in Riyadh at the moment. Not specific names. I know you're not going to do that. But in terms of sectors, trends, themes that you're playing there? Uh, well, first, uh, Richard, I'd love to talk about what we have done in Riyadh and Saudi in the kingdom. And that is terrific. Uh, one of our latest investments, uh, Nurnet, which is uh, one of the largest uh, internet service providers here in the uh, in the kingdom, 
and doing some terrific uh, job for its enterprise clients. But in general, um, uh, Saudi, very similar to many other parts of the of the uh, Gulf, such as the UAE, Bahrain, Oman, um, Qatar, they have been really their um, uh, their growth strategy and their diversification strategy away from fossil fuel that has been articulated now about a decade ago has been playing an incredible part in making this region one of the most attractive, stable, and uh, sustainable regions for investments to global investors. Uh, that is an area we're playing in. We play in pretty much on the private equity side in three very core areas, uh, healthcare, uh, business services, uh, and technology. Uh, we see a lot of momentum here in this part of the world, in the kingdom specifically. But also the interesting trend, Richard, over the last particularly two decades have been most of the successful businesses in the Gulf are family-owned, and there is more and more a comfort within those family-owned businesses to bring a professional investor, such as an investor, and then for that investor to play a part into institutionalizing that business and preparing it for a public listing on the local markets. I suspect this trend of taking private-owned businesses into the public markets in UAE, in uh, Saudi, and other parts of the Gulf is a trend, it's a terrific trend for the markets, for the investors and for the business owners in the next decades to come. Hazem, thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Hazem Ben Gassim of Invesco. Two requests for you. Firstly, next time you're in the UAE, do please come and see us because we'd love to have an extended chat. Second thing is, my wife's in Riyadh today on a business trip. If you see her, do us a favour, buy her a bunch of flowers, send me the receipts and we'll square it when you're back. But for now, Hazem, we'll let you get back to work. Hazem Bengassam of Invesco there. Their first quarterly earnings, annual quarterly earnings out as a listed company in Abu Dhabi. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.